if there's one thing I really, really, really hate about the stock market and relations in, with it in social media and stock market influencers and, you know, the gamification of the markets, it's when people take advantage of their following to transfer money from the, their followers' pockets to themselves. And CEI, Camber Energy, is probably one of the most blatant and obvious examples of social media influencers within the finance space abusing their following base on Twitter, particularly through Discord as well, and other chat apps, to get better exits after pumping a stock while making their own followers lose money. And then they can play the game of tossing up by saying, oh, it ran so much, so I'm actually really good at making calls. It's just those people's fault for buying in when they were goading them to buy in anyways. It's wrong. These people actually deserve to take responsibility for their actions for conning people. And I want to have a conversation about it tonight uh, with my audience. So let's hop into it right now. Everything said in the Theta Talk podcast is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and please talk with a professional investment advisor and do your own research before making any investment decisions. Now, I'm sure people are wondering, what is Camber Energy? Well, the real terms that are probably the best way to describe it is a company that hasn't filed quarterly updates since September of last year has not yet filed its 10K, is losing millions and millions and millions of dollars a year, and is set to be delisted if it doesn't file its 10K by the 19th of November, uh, roughly that. So a month and a half until they're delisted. Why is everyone talking about an hour? Why does it matter? And keep in mind, this is a company with uh, you know, solid $270,000 in sales in the last 12 months, losing millions a year as well, was down in the dumps and year to date before late August had fallen, you know, just a solid, you know, 50 plus percent. Why is everyone talking about this now? The pump. That's why everyone's talking about the pump first and then the dump. But you'd obviously be right to ask, why is a company that has virtually no sales and hasn't even filed required SEC documents in a year, and it's about to be delisted for not doing so if it doesn't, running over a thousand percent. One answer to that, social media. And I have a tweet up here that, that was showing me calling it a pump dump, but there's this guy I know that I saw, the reason I knew about this was gonna happen was way back when, in about February. Hold on, I wanna see this guy's got CEI, right? I wanna scroll down on this guy's feed because I was in this guy's server when he was a lot smaller, his own Discord server, and he had nowhere near the 100 plus thousand followers that he has now. I was in his Discord server two and a half years ago. We had a couple thousand followers. And he was doing the same stuff, this laid back person. And I don't, this, this is not to be beef, but I just gotta be honest, this is why people lost so much money. Innocent retail investors, right, at the end of the day. If I go down here, right? This right here on October 1st, saying that oil is ready to explode. When it does, CEI will be even more undervalued. But don't listen to me. Listen to the guys that are reading their old financials. They know more. So he's mocking people that are saying it's bad. And he said that on, let's just check the date. Solid October 1st, when the stock was trading at $3.25 a share. It's only lost, you know, since that time. 
about 75% of its value. Not that much, you know? It's not gone down that bad. But these people were talking about this back when it was at 50 cents. Why were they talking about it? It's market cap, and they had one golden card that they knew they could pump out to an audience to convince them it was a far safer investment than it actually was. One, the market cap, which now is actually in question because nobody knows the actual amount of shares outstanding because they haven't updated properly because the way this company has not gone bankrupt is by doing preferred shares that are convertible to common stock. And the rumor from the short report that came out yesterday on Tuesday, the 5th, is that there's been massive insane dilution and that the fully diluted shares outstanding are understated by, you know, that is triple the current actual known number. However, if you go back to late September, or late August, sorry, this is a stock that was trading at a $30 million market cap, but had a reverse merger with another company that was completing, and recently had a deal to acquire some carbon capture technology that they could use. And apparently, not only were they going to benefit hugely from the increase in oil prices, but they were also going to revolutionize the market with their carbon capture technology that they that they now had, and it's going to be a huge, insane green energy play. So what do these people like, laid back, like Zach Moore start to do in late August, early September? They started hyping it up. They put in their timelines, in their Discord servers, all their alerts, that they were in and they knew it was going to be a big deal. And that, with how tiny the market cap was, was enough to start a cascade move in September. The stock, within the first two weeks of September, went from $0.45 cents to almost $2 a share. They moved hundreds of percent, and then it stalled out through the middle of the month. And at that point, I kind of just assumed it was over. But they kept hyping it because they, got, they, they were able to recycle the news, make it seem bigger and better each time. Push this thing from 33 goddamn cents to almost $5 a share. So they made tons of money. Obviously, the reason the stock likely started moving beforehand, back here before they really got it running, is because they were loading their own positions up, obviously. And then the volume explodes once like, they start to make it big and actually promote it heavily. What I really, really don't like is the reality of the company, which was exposed by an incredible investigative report by a firm yesterday, uh, Tuesday, October 5th. The company's obviously laid on its filings. You, you, like, you, can, you can see on this chart here, literally, that they haven't filed, they haven't, there's no quarterly reports going way, way back until September of last year. And they reported that, that quarter's thing in December. So year to date, they filed zero quarterly or the required annual report from the prior year, right? Showed very shady stuff going on with the merger. That made no sense. And also just the fact that there might be triple the shares that same than they actually say. And that the carbon capture thing isn't really revolutionary. They're paying upfront to get 85% of the revenue because they're paying 15% royalties to someone else that actually has the tech. Only for exclusivity in Canada and some locations in the U.S., so, in reality, it's still a shit gum. And I know I'm using language when I say that, but it's just the case. Like, that's, that's the truth about it. But the promoters knew that, probably. They knew most of it, that it wasn't actually a substantial company. 
They didn't care because they could push the price up more and make more money out of it. And that's why, obviously, the stock kept running. You go to September 29th, the stock opens the day at $3, goes to 5 and then in an hour it goes all the way back down to 2 and a half and ends the day back at like 3 and a third, right? And that's when I made the tweet because I was well aware of the problem going on because I'd seen the company before. That a spectacular case study, CEI, and how a Discord server pump and dump can occur within a market. There's the right factors there for them to pull it off. The market cap was there. The float was there, even though that's in the question now. But low enough shares outstanding that they could pull it off at the level of market cap there. And the interesting rumors. Carbon capture, obviously. And saying that, oh, the energy shortage is going to be so insanely good for them, right? They pushed that in the face of tens of thousands of people that wanted a game. And this is where the gamification of the stock market becomes a big Big problem. Because beforehand, the only way you'd really get reached out about these things is when you got a phone call from your Jordan Belfort telling you about Aerotime International and how it's such a steal, right? Now, social media, particularly the Discord service these people operate, and other social media platforms where you have your followings, like your Twitters, for example, are a megaphone for that stuff. And these people are trusted by their followers. So when they say, oh, this investment really looks like it's going to work out. I'm excited for it. There's a lot of great opportunity here. It makes their followers think it's a safer thing than it really is. And you know what happens with that gamification and thinking it's safer than it really is? You put in way, way more money than you would actually be okay with putting in or potentially losing if you knew the true risk level of the investment. Right? That, that's just a fact about it. You put in way, way more if you thought it was safe than if you thought it was insanely risky. That's just the truth about it at the end of the day. It's just the truth. Look at this. Literally, the morning of October 5th, for example, Zach Moore saying, see out of 10 plus, mentioning the oil prices, right? The morning of October 5th, CEI traded at the time he said that at $3 a share. Within three and a half hours, the stock would lose two thirds of its value. But you know what? He was obviously convincing more people to buy to keep the price elevated a bit longer so that he could sell into them and get a better selling price. That's what gets me at least personally angry at the gamification of these things and the lies and deceit that these people pull. It's like, it's like the Save the Kids token, but an actual stock in a way. Not including the charity part, but the idea that it's something that is safe and it's all these trusted people on social media, quote unquote trusted, that are blowing this in the face of their followers, making them think it's actually a safe investment, so they'll go out and buy it. And then you know what happens? It's really a shit company with no fundamentals a terrible past history. And when the moment that comes out to the public, all those people that listened to him minutes earlier when he said to 10 plus, all of a sudden are down two thirds of their money, flat, with no time to actually exit out. There are absolutely 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of money that people that followed these people that thought they were trustworthy put in over the past few days at these insane elevated price levels of $3 plus, thinking when they heard the people that they trusted say $10 plus like Zach Morris, there's actually a safe investment or wasn't as risky as it really actually is, right? His whole timeline on the morning of October, retweeting things about CEI, things about CEI again, more stuff about CEI, these retweets saying, let's get it over four this week, that morning, the same day it crashed, right? Saying that it's going to blow up the shorts and that it's going back over five, so don't worry at all. But you know what? It wasn't. And that's just a way to get more people suckered in so that you could sell your shares that you bought back under 50 cents at over $3 to lock in your profits that you pumped up. There's very few things, like I said, that get me more upset than that. Especially the people that try to defend it and say, oh, well, you know, it's every individual's decision. You know, you didn't, like, you know, he didn't click the buy button for them. Yes, he didn't click the buy button for them. But they trusted him when he said it was going to go up and that they trusted what he said about the quality of the company, which made them think it was a much safer investment than it actually was, and thus they put in far more money than they'd be willing to lose if they actually knew the truth. And now it's all done. And yes, you're gonna see a fuck ton of volatility to excuse the language when it's bouncing back and forth to close it at 90 cents instead of $1.16 after hours. Because people are going to try to screw around with this now because they can take advantage of the volatility of profit. The options chain is there. People that are trading this just to trade it and take advantage of the volatility, that's perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're promoting it to followers as something safe and making them put in their own money so you can get a better exit knowing the truth, it's a different story. That was my main harp tonight, at least. Just 15 minutes of, of roasting off. I didn't even get to say, oh... I never even said, welcome to Theta Talk, the show where you get premium for your time. I'm your host, Jack Becker. Well, I'll, I'll throw that in in post. I'll, I'll edit it into the start. You, we'll, we'll get there. I actually do the other topics of the chat, though, because I did not have a lot of time. I've been getting over being sick for the most part. Someone's asking, do you think the China market on sale is the game over? That's a good question. We, ha we talked about Evergrande a lot last time and, you know, contagion stuff more broadly. But... I think the whole situation with the China market still is very, very tenuous and unclear. Someone linked an article earlier about one of the luxury developers that unexpectedly missed a two hundred plus million dollar 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 bond payment, and they're likely bust. Their their bonds went from ninety cents to the dollar in June to twenty four as of yesterday, so they're basically priced in bankruptcy. Right? China stocks continue to get hammered. They saw new lows this morning, but they bounced back intraday as the market got momentum, but they were still down today. Yeah, if you look at Yang, which is an uh, inverse ETF from Drexian, yeah, you know, it obviously decays, so you don't really want to necessarily hold it for too, too long, but bad morning before the recovery, right? Alibaba, for example, trying to base out, you could argue. But it's fallen so, so far. And the issues aren't gone. That's the thing. It's not like, oh, you know, Evergrande situation's fixed. This is all over. There's some interesting news over the weekend and early week. 
that the state's like company with with the help of the state was buying fifty one percent of their property development thing for six point one billion U.S. dollars or six point two billion U.S. dollars. So they're valuing the company at under twelve around twelve billion U.S. dollars. However, the problem, at least in the terms of the financial solvency of Evergrande in that case, is that it's extremely unlikely that they'll be able to use that $6.1 billion that they got to pay off creditors. They're most likely going to have to use it to pay off suppliers and continue to build the buildings that they already have deposits on to keep social order. So the problems with default are still there. And of course, like we've talked before, Evergrande's just one of the, one of the symptoms. It's not the whole thing. The unexpected bond payment miss, I'll, I'll pull this up from my history really quick. I'll go back and find this. It's this company right here. It's Fantasia Holdings, or is it Fantasia Holdings? So I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. They missed a $206 million bond payment that was due on October 4th. And it was a surprise. They said literally days early that they were going to make the payment. Even though the bonds have been capitulating now, they were expected to make the payment because they told so, right? And now, obviously, they're in restricted default. They have a limited time left before they're technically, you know, in default, right? The problem isn't just the product developers. It's what the banks handle the stress in China domestically. Of course, they can get support from the government, but people are very, they're the politically the leverage thing they're trying to unwind. But it's also internationally. I was talking about with some friends over the past, you know, week or so that I talked to in real life uh, that also, you know, we do this stuff. And it's not just China. It's Asia's economy. I, I, like I said before, um, it's not in the recording right now, so I'll, th- I'll say what I said again. For the U.S. stock market, I'm not concerned about the domestic economic strength necessarily. PMI numbers earlier this week were really good. You know, employment numbers look strong for the month, and I think they'll come in hot. But international is where the problems are, because all these issues with China can very easily put a huge damper on the economic performance of the Asia-Pacific economies. Japan, South Korea, Australia, Thailand, Vietnam, and, you know, the whole sphere are much more interconnected than, say, United States to just one of those countries. So they can obviously see much worse economic performance on a macro level in those countries, not to mention Chinese consumers, considering how leveraged they are, might consider spending less to be safe for themselves, but that also means that the 6% growth rate of China's economy might not necessarily keep up, so you have to keep that in mind. Right. So how does any potential slowdown in China's economic performance impact the rest of the Asia Pacific market? Plus, it's because of credit markets and liquidity, not just in Asia, but abroad. Europe's banks do have a good amount of exposure. Just to, Ever- just to Evergrande, for example, HSBC has $18 billion in dollar bonds. Right. There's a reason their stock's been tanking off and, and reaches lows. They-, they probably had some better news today, at least, uh, which is why their stock was up like 3% today at least. I haven't seen the news on them today. But they have $19 billion of a $112 billion market cap or so that are in these dollar bonds that they might not get paid out on, right? That exposure and just the concerns about Asia-Pacific performance and it's weighing on European performance, especially as they're raising rates there faster now. Czech Republic was one of them that raised, I think, by 50 bips on their interest rates uh, within the past two weeks. You can see credit tightening there in a way that could have you know, more negative effects globally if there's concerns about liquidity and credit tightening abroad in the Asia-Pacific sphere because they're concerned about their own economic performance and people are trying to, you know, protect themselves. That's where it could potentially come back to the U.S., at least if in my mind, when I'm thinking that process out loud, right? That's the way I observed the situation 
and consider looking at it. You know, look at Germany. Look at Germany. Someone's saying in the chat or MSU Tech saying in chat. Uh, they're already getting hit by China. The DAX, for example, DAX index, reaching news lows today. Bounced back obviously during the day there, but if you go to the peak from early August, they're down over six and a half. At their worst today, they were down over seven and a half. So not a correction yet, but obviously weakness in the European you know equity markets as well as the U.S. markets. Although I will give credit, the U.S. markets have been holding up better. We're only down 4.2% right now. About we were down you know much more earlier today. Uh, we we're down almost six percent earlier today, but we're holding the 4,300 level on the S&P for now. The 2050 has actually crossed to the downside on the S&P for the first time since COVID initially hit. So that's an interesting tidbit too. But, you know, like I said, I'm more concerned about international impacts that could trickle into the U.S. than the domestic performance itself. I'll wrap up with one last topic really quick. Someone's asking about my thoughts on Facebook. I think that rolls in pretty well because we did actually talk about Facebook back in late August when we were talking about Discord. Discord's $15, $15 billion valuation. And I gave a hot take back then, late August, start of September, when Facebook was trading at, it was around here, so Facebook was trading around 370, that I thought Facebook lost the battle in you know, attracting young people to their platform. They lost the battle to attract content creators to use their platforms to produce content. And that was gonna provide long-term problems for the company. Uh, and that, you know, they might have reached their half-life. What we saw come out over the past couple days in particular, from the Pandora files out to the news, the whistleblower on 60 Minutes, to even the Monday hack thing or whatever it was that shut them all down for six hours, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever, is that idea starting to trickle into the mainstream of my mind. Because we already knew before the whistleblower report that Facebook's user engagement, so the clicks per user on things, was dropping, you know, in the earlier parts or mid parts of 2010s before they, they changed up their algorithm. What we saw from the whistleblower was the confirmation of the harm Facebook was intentionally doing to the psyche of its users by making its algorithm that way so that it could prevent a decrease in user engagement. They maliciously, in my opinion, changed their algorithm in a way that they knew would harm people and potentially, you know, the, so the sociological climate to prevent a cyclical decline that was beginning on their at user engagement. And that leaves more long-term problems out in the open because now, with that public the way it is now, there is the potential for governments to regulate how the algorithm could potentially work if they know it's intentionally harming people. If they can make the argument it's, it's intentionally harming people, they can step in and force changes, which would decrease user engagement as a result because it's less negativity. And with how CPM rates have leveled off or slowing down, the fact that Facebook's CPMs last year or this year now are declining with their year-over-year -year actual ads shown to users declining, the only reason they saw such good revenue growth year-over-year -year is because ad rates shot up so much as people went online that provides a business problem for Facebook because the growth rate and cost for companies to put ads on Facebook is leveling off and now there's some cyclical oversaturation risk there because of the fact that, hey, 
now things are going back more in person, less companies might need to put ads online as much as they were during the pandemic, less demand for those people, oversaturation of those ads online already could actually pressure CPMs down, which for Facebook is very concerning because that's the only source of their revenue growth right now. The number of ads shown declined year over year in Q2. So the fact that even with those changes, they're still facing these problems really says a lot about the long-term potential of the company. Not to mention the fact that Zuck has been selling scheduled like 25 to $29 million worth of shares a day for months and months and months. That doesn't speak confidence in the equity valuation to me. But more broadly, what, what Facebook did was wrong. Very wrong. And they put themselves in a pickle now that it's this out in the open. Like on Monday night, at my sector meeting for the communication sector at my, at my investment club at college, or the club I'm in, to be more accurate, we did, me, me as a PM who runs the meetings and, and the co-PM, we asked questions. One of them was, raise your hand if you use Facebook at least once a week. 5% to 10% of them raised their hand. We asked, raise your hand if you use Google every day. Everyone raised their hand instantly. That's the problem for Facebook. They lost the battle to get young users actively on their primary platform. And most people that I know don't really use Instagram that much anymore either. As well, I literally only use Instagram to see one meme page from my college and liquidity to DM to a friend because we like to send memes to each other. I don't use Instagram at all in a casual manner to post things or to look at how people's lives are doing. I don't use Facebook at all. The only reason I use WhatsApp is because we use it for some clubs. Otherwise, I wouldn't use it. Facebook's TAM and their churn potential create longer-term issues for their ability to serve more ads and have people pay as much for ads, right? And that in itself means that their long-term revenue, cash flow, profitability growth are at risk. Google, on the mean hand, they're fine in comparison. The CPM churn could be a problem in the near run. They might just see the profit, like the growth and profit slow down but to be fair to Google, in a comparison, their stock price went up 80-some percent while their earnings more than doubled. So Google's relative valuation has actually gotten cheaper since the pandemic started. So they have better room there to actually function. This is a cheaper stock on a relative basis than it was before the pandemic. Google. Facebook, in the meanwhile, has much more cyclical problems. And I do think it's entirely possible that Facebook enters cyclical decline. My two cents. That's going to wrap it up for this episode, though. I'm sorry it's a bit shorter than normal. Uh, I just didn't have time to write a huge script today. I've been getting over this illness, so I'm really trying to act up. I want to thank everyone for all the support on the Evergrande episodes. Kind of crazy to see that. We'll be trying to get back to at least once a week or once every other week pretty soon for these podcasts. It's hard, especially with college, more work, midterms, all that stuff. But we're going to try to get it done because I love doing this stuff and talking with you all. We have a website now. It's thetatalk.wordpress.com if you want to see that. Um, we got episodes. We got a blog post there as well. We're going to try to write there more frequently in the future as well. And I just want to say thank you for everyone for, for sticking th with me through all this. Uh, it's really fun to share my ideas with you all. Have you all contribute as people did tonight in the live Twitch chat by giving actual topics to keep the conversation going a couple minutes longer. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you all. Have a wonderful night, and I hope you got some premium for your time here today.